Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Alexa, who is Adam Ferrara? Adam Ferrara is an American actor and comedian known for playing the roles of Chief Needles Nelson on Rescue Me, Sergeant Frank Virelli opposite Edie Falco on Nurse Jackie. He was a co-host on the U.S. version of Top Gear. He has had three Comedy Central specials and his new album is called It's Scary in Here. Adam's new podcast is a big hit and available everywhere. Sounds like it could be funny. Sounds to me like 30 minutes you'll never get back. Well, you finally made it, which is really good because we have a great show for you this week. My guest in the ADD interview is legendary card guy and host of one of my favorite long-running car shows called Wheeler Dealer on Discovery, and his name is Mike Brewer. And we want to welcome everyone from our Talk To Me Tuesday family. That's our conversation we have every week, 9 o'clock Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Go to my website, click the link, join our conversation. And our super fan shout out of our old friends, Jim and Barbara. Say hi to Jim and Barbara, everybody. Hey, Jim and Barbara. Jimmy, Babs, how you guys doing? And Phil would say hello as well, but he is still adrift. Uh, and Jim and Barbara sent me a, a video. And if they want to get a hold of us, where do they go? The Adam Farrar at Gmail. They have a Boss 302 Mustang, and they were out for a drive on a country road. And Barbara's in the passenger seat, and she's holding up the phone, and Jim punches it. And you see the, st- the, the, the phone start w- wiggling a little bit, and all of a sudden you hear, stop, Jim. So, <laughs> But I bet she loved it. I, she seemed like she did. I did. I don't know if Barbara did, but I did. <laughs> so I want to thank you for that. So, yeah, so Barbara got upset uh, and said, stop, Jim. And I spoke to Phil, and he got upset with me, too. <laughs> really? He did. Yeah, but we found out we found out the cause. For those of you just joining us, Phil thought he was having multiple heart attacks, uh, but he wasn't. It was acid reflux. And now we found out the cause of the acid reflux. We found out that the acid reflux was caused because I stopped taking the Zantac because you got in my head with that and I had to stop taking the Zantac now for a week. I got in your head. There's a class action suit because this stuff could kill you, but this is my fault. Yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Blame me because I saw a class action suit. I know he takes this stuff and then he blames me. And then, and, and then I asked him, I said, did, did you sign up for it? He goes, no, no. Who's got time for that? I go, oh, you got nothing but time. <laughs> it's on the boat, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, like, can I ask a question? Yes. Do you have a news filter set up in your Google search for like, Anything that mentions Phil or anything related to Phil that just gets. I was going to say he has a dossier. Right? It gets funneled straight to a folder for you. I got I saw it and I when I know he takes this stuff. <laughs> how do I not bring it to his attention? It's your concerned friend. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> and, and he gets all angry again. Oh, watch this now. You know what he said? I want you to freeze me and then thaw me out when they find a cure for everything I got. That's what he wants to do. He won't fit in our fridge, Adam. I know. <laughs> so here's the second part of conversation. Look, this stuff could be killing you now. Well, you'd be stupid not to cash in if you're already dying. What? <laughs> I'm just saying, give it time. You never give, know. Give, give what time? Give what, what? 
Well, look. This is an all time low. Is you, what you're saying. always killing him off, Adam. I'm, <laughs> I'm not killing him off, but, you know, he, he took it. And, you know, there's adverse side effects. I think, you know, death is inevitable. This just might have hastened the process. <laughs> it actually fits your character. You always go to the worst case scenario. So I'm not yeah. surprised. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> and shocking that Phil didn't take this better, you know. Yeah. <laughs> What's your famous line you say, Adam? What? Life's going to kill us all? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So here's the rest of the call. Phil, calm down. Everyone's going to die. And if this is how you're going to go out, why shouldn't you get some money first? I don't like this. You always got me in something. You, you always got me. You're Ralph Cranston. You, you always scheming. You got me doing shit. <laughs> I'm not doing anything. I'm trying to get you to cash in on your unfortunate illness. But now, but now apparently I'm going to be dead before you even get a check. So then you leave the money to me. <laughs> Oh, oh my God. goodness. So there's there's the motive right there. It's only a matter of time before you die of this shit that I cash in. What's it? I'm going to be heartbroken when you go. And a wad of cash is going to make you feel better? Yes, it will. <laughs> Adam, I hope you know you're the first suspect that the police will go for. <laughs> I think it's an accidental. Yeah. It's not an accidental death. Look, I, I got. I, I don't have to worry about a thing. I, I I'll, I'll get into his Amazon account. I'll, I'll print out the bills. I go, look, he took it for twenty years. He's dead. <laughs> I already have it figured out, huh? Yeah. Where's my check? I'm, all right. I'm grieving. He wants me to have it. I will spread your ashes anywhere you want, Phil. Yeah, you got. Yeah, I don't want to hear probate. I'll blow his ashes into your face. Give me my check. <laughs> Too funny. Oh, yeah. Phil. God, we love you, and you miss miss you, man. I miss. I, I love. Yeah, I love Phil. You, Phil. I, I don't want him to be dead, but it'd be nice to get a little bit of a cushion in the back. <laughs> <laughs> right, soften the blow. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. I'd, I'd like to wipe my eyes with dollar bills at the loss of my friend. <laughs> yes. But it was funny because Barbara got upset at Jim and said, stop. Phil got angry at me and yelled at me. And during the Afghanistan war, Mike Brewer got angry at Parliament uh, and yelled at them. And they sent him to the front line. <laughs> what? Yes. This is, oh, this is an amazing story. I want you guys to hear this. So you guys listen to this and we will see you on the other side. Your body is controlled by genes that code for proteins that lead to the formation of neural impulses that make you constantly search out for meaning in life. And yes, one thing I can say about you right now is that you are going to die. You're listening to the Adam Ferrara podcast. Good God, this is 30 minutes you'll never get back. The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, 
You can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I have some stand updates for you. Yes, tomorrow night, Friday, April 29th, and Saturday, April 30th, I will be at the Laugh It Up Comedy Club in Poughkeepsie, New York. July 1st and July 2nd, I will be at Cobb's Comedy Club in San Francisco. Friday, July 8th, I will be at the Comedy Shop in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. And Saturday, July 9th, I will be at the Comedy Shop in Newton, Pennsylvania. And Sunday, July 10th, I will be at Soul Joel's Comedy Dome in Royersford, Pennsylvania. There's a list for tickets right here in the show notes, or you can go to my website and click the link there. My special, It's Scary in Here, still on YouTube. Please check it out if you get a chance. We also have t-shirts for you. There's a link to both right here in the show notes. All right, enough of my yakking. Now let's listen to Mike Brewer. ADHD, it's not just for kids. Nice boy, but doesn't listen to a word you say. Welcome to the ADD interview. It's not that you're not interesting, it's just that I can't focus. And my guest this week is... Oh, look, a bird! My guest this week is a car dealer, television presenter, media personality, and journalist whose award-winning article contained just one word. He is the host of one of my personal favorite car shows, Wheeler Dealer. He's been shot down in a helicopter over Afghanistan. He set a 24-hour endurance land speed record in a Volvo S60. And rumor has it that because of him, Richard Hammond got top gear. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's Mike Brewer. How are you, my friend? I'm all right. Yeah, what a great introduction. That was wonderful. Oh, thank Somebody's you. done some research. That was really good. <laughs> thank you, brother. And thank you so much for being on here. And I, I uh, we, we met when Wheeler Dealer came to the States, and it is one of my favorite shows. And it's because of you. Your, your love of cars and the enthusiasm. I'm watching you. You know, I'm watching you, and I, I get to see these cool cars. So thank you for, for bringing that, that joy to, to me and to, uh, well, and to millions. It's an absolute pleasure. And thank you, Adam, for breaking one of my ribs that night I come and see you in L.A. <laughs> at the comedy club. I, uh, I left with a busted rib, and I think I was hurting for about four days after because <laughs> uh, you, you were just hilarious. It was so funny. Thank you, my friend. And yeah, I, got, I saw you uh, and Ant there, and that's where I met you when the show Wheeler Dealer uh, came to the States. Now, for those of you who don't know the show, it's this brilliant show because – you find the cars. You were a car dealer. You find these cars, and you bring them back to uh, the mechanic, and you, you fix them, and you flip them, and, and we go on the ride with you. Um, and you've had your mechanic, Ed China, who started the show with you, was there for 13 years, right? Then the show moved here, and then Ann Amstead, my pal, friend of the show, did it. And now you're working with the Elvis of F1 is your mechanic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's right. I mean, the show's just about to run into its uh, 20th year. God bless it's you. It's long uh, it's the longest continuous running car show in the world. Um, it uh, is the original OG. So mm -hmm. uh, when we come up with Wheeler Dealers back in 2002, uh, there was no other show on the planet that bought a car, fixed it up and sold it. Mm -hmm. It was the original. It was the, uh, you can trace back everything from, you know, fast and loud to bitching rides to overhauling. All of those shows own their, and their success, really, to uh, what Wheeler Dealers did to Discovery Channel. And um, it has over 200 million viewers in 217 territories around the world, and and uh, somehow they're still employing me to make it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great. I mean, I get to see shows, you know, here in the States, I get to see the, the shows that we, the cars that we don't get here. You know, you had a Jensen Interceptor, you know, you had all kinds of cool stuff. I think one of my favorites was the, the green Lamborghini that you and Ed uh, fixed and you drove yeah, it. Was it Spain you drove it in? No, that was uh, that was a green Lamborghini Uraco 1973. Yeah. That car, I found it in Poland, mm -hmm. uh, frozen in a garage. And then uh, by the time we'd finished it, uh, Lamborghini was celebrating their 50th anniversary and they were driving down to Bologna in Italy, oh, Italy the home yeah. of Lamborghini. And we joined in that, that drive down to Bologna. And uh, it meant that me and Ed, on his birthday, crossed the Dolomite Mountains. Uh, the snow-capped Dolomite Mountains in a 1970s Lamborghini with this soundtrack playing out behind us. Mm -hmm. um, 
days like these. <laughs> and there we are, driving along in this car, just thinking, somebody, some suckers are paying us to do this. This is incredible. Uh, so, no, that was, a, that was a very special moment in a very special car. Yeah, and you could feel it. I mean, I, I've watched that episode a, a, a few times over just, just, just for that emotional connection. And where your emotional connection started with cars. Your dad had a Ford uh, Poplar. Was it Poplar? It's a car we didn't have here in the States. Yeah, it's a full pop. It's the closest thing that we ever sort of got in the UK to a hot rod, if you like, mm-hmm. a, an American style hot rod, sort of model A sort of looking uh, sort of Ford uh, from the 1950s and 60s. Um, my dad was a, a quite a well known car customizer. Mm-hmm. So he was the original Chip Foose, if you like. And uh, my dad used to uh, put V8 engines in these ridiculous little cars, Jag rear ends. Air, he was an airbrush artist as mm-hmm. well. They would do airbrush techniques all over these cars. And, and he got the cover of a few magazines and uh, reluctantly dragged me around as this eight-year-old kid. He would drag me around car shows and point to cars and say, be interested. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as, a, as a kid, you sort of, you know, I just wanted to be on my skateboard. You sure. Sort of, uh, I was a reluctant kid, but somehow uh, I've got a really good retention for memory. And mm-hmm. somehow I just learned this stuff. You know, my dad would talk about that car's been painted, that car's not right, this car's had that damage. Mm-hmm. And uh, throughout my my years hanging around my dad in the garage, I just learned so much stuff about cars that by the time I turned 17, there was only one thing that I was going to do for the rest of my life, and that was, that was play with cars. Yeah. Yeah, I got the same love of cars from my dad, but I can't wrench, Mike. I can't. My job was to hold the light. I can't, you know, I don't have that if-then-go-to statement. My father could yeah. fix anything. Well, my dad, uh, on the workshop floor, I can remember, you know, my earliest memories working with my dad on the workshop, what would be, he would be laying under a car Mm -hmm. and he would hand me back the wrench and he would say, make sure you wipe it with the oily rag. So I'd have an oily (laughs) rag in my hand. I'd wipe the wrench and then I'd put it back in the toolbox in its correct tray. Mm -hmm. And then say, get me a number 10 and I'd get a number 10 out, pass it to him. He'd hand it back. I'd wipe it with the oily rag and I'd put it back in the box. And um, uh, that's how I learned to wrench that way with my dad. Mm-hmm. And by the time, uh, by the time I was uh, uh, probably nine or ten years old, uh, we were bringing work home, much to my mother's dismay. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were bringing engine components home, and where my mum's trying to, you know, get six kids their dinner, uh, me and my dad uh, have got a, you know, the top end of an Escort on the on the. <laughs> the tiny little table in the flat that we lived in, the little apartment we lived in. And me and my dad, we'd we'd be pushed out onto the balcony Uh of the flat. Me and my dad in the winter would be out on the balcony of the flat, you know, just trying to, uh, trying to work on these engines together. But I learned how to wrench at a very early age. Mm -hmm. And um, fortunately I don't have to do it now because I have a a mechanic who works with me on screen, you know, ants and people like that. Uh, So fortunately I don't have to get my hands that dirty these days, but uh, trust me, I can I can pull a motor apart and put it back together in my sleep. God bless you. I can make a phone call to get a guy to pull the motor apart and put it back together in your sleep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's what I do these days. <laughs> well, yeah, well, you were a car dealer. I'm sure you got stories about selling cars. And what's, what's, what, what story pops to mind when I bring that up? Uh, well, I've got so many stories, Adam. Uh, honestly, we wouldn't have enough internet for my story. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, being a car dealer in my very early formative years was very, very interesting. I mm. learned the car trade. I threw myself at it. Literally, right. uh, I dedicated my life to it. I thought about it. I ate it, slept it, drunk it. Mm. I'd come home, read car magazines. Uh, if I ever went to the restroom, I would sit in the restroom. And this is still today. I still do this today. It's a really, and I've made my staff who work for me at my dealerships. Uh, I make him go in the restroom with the instruction manual of a car. Uh, so, so open the glove box, pull out the instruction manual, and learn how to put the seats up and down, learn how to tune the radio, learn how to operate the air conditioning. Um, because the next customer that comes in and asks that question, you can, you can, you can help them. Mm-hmm. And I used to do that. I used to do that myself. Uh, so my early years were, were just fantastic. Um, I've done some things possibly in my... <laughs> Uh, I've done some things that maybe, you know, nothing's come back and bit me on the arse. Thank but God. I have, I have done things back then in the in the car dealing world. Uh, you know, there was there was one guy that confessed 
uh, with his very, 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 very sought-after BMW 325 Sport. That's mm-hmm. the E30 shape. Yeah. He, he did confess to me that um, he was immigrating that afternoon back to uh, South Africa. So uh, I arranged to meet him at the airport after I'd agreed to buy the car off him, after I'd agreed to buy his £14,000 car for £9,000. Right. I'd agreed to meet him at the short-stay car park at Heathrow Airport. And then when he got to the short-stay car park at Heathrow Airport, I told him I only had another five grand to give him. Mm-hmm. Uh, take it or leave it in short-stay. It's up to you. What do you want to do? Um, but they they were survival techniques back then. I had to. You know, right. That was how deep you had to go in the trade to... <laughs> To survive, you know, and to, to make a profit. Yeah. Um, but no, I've had I I, I I've travelled around the world buying and selling cars, and not only on TV. Mm. I jumped on an aeroplane uh, before anyone had even thought of it. I jumped on an aeroplane and flew to. I, I did some weird things. I flew to Japan and uh, landed in Japan. Walked into a, a Suzuki dealership. Couldn't speak a word of Japanese. They couldn't speak English, and I ended up buying. Uh, 10 Suzuki Vitaras off of them, uh, off their showroom floor, brand new, and arranging for them to be shipped back to England because it's a right-hand drive country, yeah. the same as England, uh, where I, I sold them in England. And I, I ended up actually selling more Suzuki Vitaras than Suzuki themselves in the United Kingdom. <laughs> so I had lots of litigation from Suzuki saying, stop, you're, you're embarrassing us. <laughs> I, I also uh, did things like I, I just got on planes and went to Germany. Mm-hmm. Like I'd just get on a plane, go to Germany, uh, go and find a car like a Lancia Delta Integrale or a BMW M3 E30. Yeah. They are left-hand drive only cars mm-hmm. in a right-hand drive market. So if you want one, you have to accept the fact it's going to be a left-hand drive car. There's no alternative. Uh, so I'm, I'm driving back through this brand new thing that the, Wonderful people just installed under the uh, the English Channel, which was called the Channel Tunnel. Mm-hmm. It, it was brand new. I'd drive these cars back into England, and uh, I was the only one doing it. I had this inbuilt marketplace. I was me and my wife Michelle were. We, it was we were raining cash, <laughs> and we were we we were doing we were doing fan blooming tastically, Adam. I got to you. We were flying, right. absolutely flying. And then one day, a phone call uh, on my mate's phone, actually, he went to the, to the restroom because he had a bad stomach and mm-hmm. he, went to, he went to go and evacuate himself. Right. And whilst he was gone, his phone rang. I answered it. And it was a young lady who said, um, I'm from Channel 4 Television. I'm making a series about car dealers. And uh, can I come down and film you? And I said, no. And she said, <laughs> She said, you sound so good. I said, no, I'm not interested. And she went, oh, please, let me come and film. I said, no. She said, everyone recommend- says that I've got to come and meet Mike Brewer, meet Mike Brewer. Right. She said, all the other car dealers say it. And I said, no, I'm not interested. Anyway, I spoke to Michelle that night about it. Michelle said, no way, right. absolutely no way. Uh, but the next day, she bloody turned up with a video camera, and she begged me to talk around a, a car, a Golf GTI, in the, uh, in the dealership, uh-huh. which I did. Uh, and two days later, she's telling me that her boss is at, at the network Channel 4. Mm-hmm. They had four networks in England then, BBC One, BBC Two, ITV, Channel 4. That was it. She said, the bosses at Channel 4 love you, and they want to put you in the show they're making. And I said, no, I kept saying no. <laughs> uh, eventually, they um, they made the show, but just as me as an advisor. Right. I was advising what to buy and what to sell, and I wasn't in the show, but they made it. And then after they made it, they begged me again and said, look, now we've made it, we want to put a presenter in it. So we're not going to be using you as a car dealer, explaining your tips and how you do it. Right. We want you to just be authentic and be a presenter. So I said, um, okay, I'll give that a go. So I went down to this studio, big camera shoved in my face for the first time. I goofed around a couple of cars in the studio and uh, they said, you got a job, you know, the show's yours, you got the job. Uh, the show went out on TV and it became the highest rated uh, factual television program in Channel 4's history hmm. by week three. And uh, that's when Top Gear knocked on my door and uh, begged me to come host Top Gear, which I turned down. Right. And uh, and uh, I, I stayed at Channel 4 for four years. 
and I've never not worked. That was 1997, Adam. You would have been free. <laughs> I've never not worked in television since that day. That's been my career ever since. That's great, man. That's really God bless you. You're like a cockroach. You just keep you keep surviving, ah, Brewer. Keep going. Just keep going. <laughs> Tell me about Top Gear because Top Gear wasn't Top Gear then. It was still like a magazine show. It wasn't. Yeah, real- it, it, yeah it was a magazine show. Mm-hmm. Uh, a producer at the back then. This is nineteen um, nineteen ninety eight, uh, nineteen ninety seven, nineteen ninety eight. Back then, it was hosted by Jeremy Clarkson and a couple of other. Angela Rippon, you know, this mm-hmm. newscaster here. And um, uh, I I got this phone call from this guy called John Bentley, and he said, come and meet, come and meet me in this pub in Oxford. So I went and met him in a pub in Oxford, and he, and he said, I, you know, top secret, I can tell you now, mm-hmm. uh, Jeremy Clarkson's leaving the show. Uh, this is the first time he left. He said he's leaving the show, and we'd like to give you the first eight minutes of Top Gear. And I went, wow, this big BBC mm-hmm. Two. It was BBC Two then. This big, massive network show that everyone watched. And uh, and he said, I'll give you the first eight minutes of Top Gear. Come and join us. Mm. And I I come home, spoke to Michelle about it, and a really good thing about it. And then I did what every good car dealer does because remember at the time I was still a car dealer. Right. I still had my car showroom. Um, I put him in touch with my boss at Channel Four, and then I just sat back. <coughs> And I watched them play tennis uh, with me, and my value just shot up. And uh, at the end of the day, Channel Four won, gave me a hand handcuff deal. So I stayed. Um, I stayed with Channel Four, making Channel Four devised my own Top Gear show mm-hmm. called Driven, uh, which was so successful it, it fundamentally knocked Top Gear off the TV back then. So Top Gear disappeared for a while because Driven was so successful. Um, I uh, stayed there for, for many years, five years at Channel 4. And then um, we are now getting into 2002. Mm-hmm. And in 2002, my contract came to an end with Channel 4. And I was a free agent. I didn't want to go back and work with Channel 4. They offered me a, a renew on my deal. But I thought, do you know, I'm a free agent. I can go and do anything, you know, and I, I want to do something else. I want to work with other people and, and try something else. And um, it's, it's quite bizarre because there was this little weeny, tiny little network called Discovery Channel mm-hmm. that had gorillas going up mountains <laughs> and people digging for, you know, treasure in yeah. Egypt. Yeah. And this tiny little network that had only been going five years by then, Discovery Channel, mm-hmm. uh, and it was tiny, they approached me and said, we love you, we want to do a car show with you. So um, come up with some ideas for a car show. And uh, we come up with uh, another cu- a couple of other guys, uh, Dan and Mike. Uh, we sort of devised, if you like, together, we devised what is Wheeler Dealers. Mm-hmm. And that was back in 2002. Um, and here we are, 2022, and I'm still making the same show. Yeah, and it's remember. and it's still great. I mean, even the little, like like when you had the Mini, because your first car was, uh, was a, uh, a Mini uh, 850, right? It was the... Correct. Yes, so, you've done some really good research. Yeah, well, I just I remember the episode when you said, "Now I've got one of these, and you have to you have to look at the uh, the uh, the uh, the drip tray on on the roof because that's where the rust starts." And I was like, "Oh, okay." I, you know, yeah. it's like little stuff like that just makes you yeah. just brings you into the show. Here's what happens, Mike. I watch the show, and as uh, Ant or Ed so, is doing the, the the mechanical stuff, I go right there, right there is where I skin uh, my, the 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 skin off my knuckles, and I throw the wrench across the room. <laughs> right there is where I blow up. <laughs> and the you other show, yeah, the other automotive shows you do. Like, I got to ask you the story about uh, Frontline Battle Machines because that's yeah. when you were in the Chinook helicopter. Yeah. Have we, how long have we got, Adam? Because this is a belt of the story. <laughs> how long have we got? How we got as much to... time as you need, Mike. Right, so this is a belter of a story. Okay, mm-hmm. so I'll give you a chapter and verse because it's it's well worth people out there who don't know me listening to how my stupid chimpanzee brain works okay <laughs> i'm sat on a train going into london to do voiceover for wheeler dealers a very famous place called trident studios and yeah. i'm sat on a train and in england uh, we have a free newspaper that's called metro that you pick it up from your newsstand it's free of charge mm-hmm. you sit on the train you read it and then you discard it mm-hmm. and the next person who gets on the train he picks it up and reads it and he discards it 
And they're everywhere. These uh, newspapers are everywhere. I got on the train one morning going into London from Oxford and uh, the headlines of the Metro newspaper back in 2011, when we was at war in Afghanistan, had uh, in black, big black letters, it had mum goes to sports store to buy her son American body armour for American football mm-hmm. to save her son on the front line. Wow. And I sat on the train and went, wow. I've just paid, literally that morning, I wrote a checkout to the tax man, to the IRS, and it was a whopper mm-hmm. that morning. And I thought, damn, where's my tax money going? I want to save that kid. Yeah. Why is that kid having to put his own body armor on? That's ridiculous. Uh, so it really peed me off. I don't know if I can swear. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Well, it really pissed me off. <laughs> it really pissed me off. So I was, I was chewing wasps all the way to work in, on the train. I get to work, sit in the voiceover booth, and I do my voiceover. And then Ed China turns up to do his voiceover, and he's got a meeting, so he wants to be quick and out. Mm-hmm. So they kick me out the voiceover booth and say, disappear into London for two hours, come back, and we carry on. Mm-hmm. So I kick my heels. I walked uh, out the voiceover booth. I walked down to Trafalgar Square. Once you get to Trafalgar Square, you're looking down towards the uh, Whitehall, towards the Houses of Parliament. And then I'm walking down Whitehall. And as you walk down this beautiful road in the centre of London, to your left is the Ministry of Defence. Mm-hmm. And there's two great big statues outside and two policemen with their rifles pointing down to the ground with their body armour on. Mm-hmm. And as I walked past the entrance, the policeman looked at me and went, All right, Mike. And I went, how you doing? And then I just turned left and I walked up the stairs and straight past a pair of them. Right. In, into the revolving door of the Ministry of Fence. No idea what I'm doing there. Just mm. walked through the revolving door up to the reception area. Behind plate glass was this young lady. She said, can I help you? And I said, do you have a press officer? And she said, yes. Who's your meeting with? Who's your, who's your meeting with? And I said, I don't have a meeting with anyone. Can I just talk to your press officer? And she went, well, you've you got to have a meeting to be in there. How did you get past the policeman? And I said, they know me. And she said, well, you, you, you can't be in there. You need to have a meeting. You need to have a meeting. And I said, well, I haven't got one. But can you phone your press officer and just tell him Mike Brewer from Wheeler Dealers is in reception? <laughs> and she went, go and take a seat. So I took, sat down in this huge, great big building, this huge atrium, and uh, she made a call, and she went, he's coming down to see you. And then to my right, there's a series of great big uh, plate glass doors, and this guy appears, and he goes through the first door through a sniffing machine, mm-hmm. the second door, an X-ray, the third door, uh, but you can see all the way through it, a glass. Right. And uh, third door's, you know, radar, <laughs> and then eventually he appears, and he says, Mike Brewer, I love you, I watch all your shows. My name's Lieutenant Colonel Stratford Wright. How can I help you? Mm. And I said, well, actually, I I don't know why I'm here. I said, other than the fact I paid tax this morning and on the way in, I was on the train and I'm disgusted by this headline. (laughs) And he went, oh, come in, come in, come in. Let me explain. So he went, took me in. I'd take my belt off, my phone, my, you know, wallet out my pocket. And then we go through this series of chambers, these doors. And we end up, you're going to love this, we end up in the middle of this amazing building built in the 1930s, you know, real art deco, stunning architecture. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of it is a, it's a Starbucks. <laughs> so well, God bless America, right? So I go and sit down. He gets me a coffee and he says, look, let me explain. He said, that newspaper headline is fake. Mm. He said, what happened is, is we send out, we tool up our body armour and we make it in small or medium or large. Mm -hmm. And he said, so we look at the average soldier, he's a medium, we make the tool in for medium, we put it in a container, we send it out there. So when the container opens up and all the soldiers run in and get their new medium body armour, the latest spec body armour, the guys that are big or the guys that are small, it don't fit them, so they phone up their mum and they go, mum... Gary got his new body armour, but I didn't get my body armour. Mm-hmm. So his mum then phoned the newspaper, and the newspaper said, right, let's go to a sports store and buy an American body armour and do a story. Ah. So I said, well, why don't you just tell, why don't you just 
do that story tomorrow in the newspaper, you know, to stop people being angry. And he said, nobody's going to believe me. Nobody's going to believe me. I'm the press officer. No, but they'll believe you. Mm-hmm. You tell a story. And I said, I can't tell the story. I don't know. If it, I can't do it. Nobody's going to talk, listen to me. And he went, they will. You're my brewer. You tell the story. So I said, well, how can I tell it? He said, well, why don't you, why don't you do what Bob Hope did? Why don't you go out to Afghanistan? We'll fly you out there, mm-hmm. go and entertain the troops, and you can see for yourself. That's the way we operate. We will make small body armour. We will make big body armour. But at the moment, we're making medium size. Mm-hmm. So the other guy's just got to wait. Mm-hmm. And I said, you want to send me to a war zone? <laughs> I just come in for a cup of coffee because I was pissed off. And now, so 20 minutes later, you want to send me to a bloody war zone? And he went... Yeah, don't you think it's a good idea? And I said, no, it's the worst idea I've ever had, or you've ever had. It's ridiculous. I said, no, I'm not going to Afghanistan. And he said, well, funny enough, he said, uh, I'll tell you what is happening in Afghanistan. Next week, we're sending out a brand-new tank. And he said, we'd love to get some publicity for it. So if you didn't want to go out next week, we could send you out with a tank in an Antonov aeroplane that's Mm -hmm. going to deliver it, and you could cover the story of the tank being delivered, and then see for yourself and entertain your troops. Anyway, I went home. Uh, that evening, I went back to do the voiceover, obviously, and then I went home. And uh, the very next day, uh, he sent me an email on headed notepaper from the MOD, the Ministry of Defence in London. Right. And, he sent, and he's, a, he's a colonel in the Ministry of Defence. And he sent me an email saying, great to meet you yesterday. Really hope you can make the trip to Afghanistan. Just to let you know, we will give you full unprecedented access to all our assets on the front line in the theatre of war. And I read that email and I thought, shit. Yeah. There's a show here. And I sent that email to my boss at Discovery Channel and he phoned me up within three minutes and he said, do you want to go to Afghanistan? Mm. And I said, no. (laughs) But... There is something here to tell. There's a story to tell. So he said, Let, let's write it up. Let's write up a programme about it. So I wrote a show called Frontline Battle Machines, which was basically me being the common man, mm-hmm. looking at every single asset that's available to the British and American and, and the Allied forces, looking at the helicopters, the jet aeroplanes, the guns, the missiles, the knee pads, the safety goggles, whatever it is, mm-hmm. I was going to look at absolutely everything and test it from a from a guy's point of view in the pub. Right. Uh, so layman's terms. So I wrote the show. Me and Michelle wrote wheels. I did uh, combat training. I become a fully trained uh, um, a soldier. I become a, a third trained medic, so mm-hmm. a trauma nurse. Uh, then I'm on a I'm on a jet plane from a Ministry of Defence plane, an RAF jet flying down to a war zone in Afghanistan with my cameraman, uh, Nick, beside me, terrified. Uh, but we we land, and I said to Michelle, I promise I won't do anything stupid and dangerous. So the very first night, I did a foot patrol uh, just to make sure that I could, you know, I promised Michelle I'd never do one, but I did. Mm. Uh, and I just trod in the footsteps of the soldier in front of me uh, because I didn't want to get my legs blown off. Right. That first, first night, I was there. And then the uh, third night or third day I was there, I just went across to film the Chinook helicopters. And I went across to film these Chinook helicopters because they're flying hospitals. Mm-hmm. And I was going to talk to the loadmaster and the doctors and nurses and talk about how they operate uh, in the safety of the airbase uh, at Camp Bastion. Uh, and so I get on the helicopter with my cameraman. I'm interviewing a guy and he's saying, yeah, this is the plasma lines. This is where the blood comes in. This is where the doctor sits. That's where the trauma nurse is. That's where the surgeon sits. And then all of a sudden, whir, whir, alarm goes off, mm-hmm. scramble, scramble, scramble. And as me and Nick went to run off the helicopter, all the crew were running onto the helicopter. So we were, and we got camera light. We were clearly going to be in the way. Mm-hmm. And the uh, loadmaster just said, sit down, sit down. So we just sat in the chairs. And by the time the guys run onto the airframe, it was off. It was in the air. So uh, we were off and into a into a battle. And uh, and I'm looking across at Nick thinking, what have I done? You know, we're only meant to be interviewing this guy. 
Now all of a sudden we're on our way to a battle. Mm-hmm. And then we we plug, we, we've got helmets on and we plug ourselves in so we could hear the intercom. And then that's when the pilot, Ian Fortune, starts explaining that there were American servicemen that have been pinned down. Uh, they've run out of ammunition and they've also uh, uh, run out of medicine. They, uh, they've administered as much medicine they can and they, they, they're desperate. They need it rescuing. And there was no American uh, uh, rescue helicopters uh, available to go and rescue them. So um, the RAF said, we'll go and do it. And so I'm sat in the back of this helicopter thinking, oh, well, we're just going to land, pick up some, you know, wounded soldiers and fly back mm-hmm. and we'll have a nice cup of tea. <laughs> uh, what I didn't expect is as we landed, the smell of the back doors open of the Chinook and the smell of cordite come rolling into the back of the helicopter. Mm. And I thought, oh, I can smell gun smoke. And then uh, as we landed, the four soldiers at the back of our helicopter run off and took up covering position. And uh, then this very sorry band of American heroes uh, come out from behind this compound wall. Unfortunately, one of them passed. He was on a stretcher. Mm. uh, And there was another guy on a stretcher. Uh, and they had bandages around their head. It looked very, very sorry. And as they broke cover and run to the helicopter, all hell happened. It was full machine guns, ping pong, ping through the helicopter. A round went under my seat where I was Mm. sat. Uh, There was was just bullets flying everywhere. Um, But they loaded these guys into the helicopter. Unfortunately, one got shot in the back as he was getting loaded up. Uh, They loaded these guys up... um, it was it was a horrendous sight to witness this in front of me. You know, I'm sat in the back of the helicopter witnessing the whole thing uh, on camera, and uh, and then the helicopter takes off, and then we're in the air, and I'm thinking we're saved, we're saved. Oh, there's a shit, there's a cameraman I should be talking to. <laughs> so I just start presenting to the camera. Yeah, we've just been in a full firefight. I've just watched him work. I've watched him doing his job. The nurses and doctors are doing incredible work. This is fantastic. And as I'm saying it. Bang! Everything in the helicopter lifted up. We lost gravity for a second, and then it went back down. Everyone looked at each other, thinking, what just happened? Right. And then the pilot come on the intercom, and he said, uh, chaps, I've just been shot in the face. Jeez. And that's uh, that's when you go, okay, well, this is, this is my end of life. Uh, he also said, we've taken rounds through the front gearbox, through the cockpit, it's pierced hydraulic lines, mayday, 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 we're going to crash land. So I'm like, uh, okay, I was just meant to interview this guy. I was walking down Whitehall. <laughs> I just paid my taxes. Because <laughs> I just paid my taxes. <laughs> and here I am, you know, not long after, just about to be smeared across a desert floor in the back of a chinook doing 200 miles an hour. And I was thinking, what a stupid idiot I am. This is the most <laughs> dumb thing I've ever done. Uh, but Ian, the pilot, um, he tells the story after. He said, I, I thought I'd crash land there on this smooth bit of desert. And he said, I, I looked at it and thought, oh, no, look, there's a better place to crash land. I'll crash land there. That's smoother. And then he went, oh, there's another bit. I'll, I'll crash land there instead. And he said, by the time I'd done it four times, he could see Cambastian on the horizon. Mm. So he thought, I'll crash there. So he flew the helicopter and, and basically threw it into the uh, hospital car park. Bang. Oh. Uh, and saved, the, saved 21 souls on board that helicopter. He was awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross. Only the fourth serviceman to be awarded it since the Second World War and uh, invited me to his investiture at Buckingham Palace where he got it pinned on his chest. And uh, he's a national hero, Ian Fortune. He saved me. Wow. wow. What a story, eh? What a story, my friend. I, I, I have to ask, after that experience, what did life look like to you after that? It couldn't have been the uh, same. You know what, Adam? That's a fantastic question. And uh, it's one that I'm really, really pleased to answer. Um, there was, it, my life changed. Uh, I, I live, I think you can see this when you see me on TV, I live every day to the maximum. I live every day like it's the most exciting thing uh, in the world. And, uh, you know, I just can't believe the sun rose. I get out of bed. I've got a beautiful wife, uh, a lovely life. And I I make this an awesome television program to entertain people. Um, 
but the one thing that I come back with was I, I was really, really close to death on mm. several occasions, really close to death. But the closer I got to death, the more I felt alive. I've never felt more alive than the time I was in Afghanistan. Mm. It was the most, I was the most alive I've ever been in my life. And, uh, and I still got that with me. It's still with me today, all these years later. That's 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 a terrifying experience and and a beautiful uh, uh, outcome from it. If that makes any sense, it it certainly was. Yeah, it's an amazing outcome from it. It's something I'm really proud that I did. Mm. You know, I went out and reported on a, uh, in a war zone, uh, and you know, I I never had any intentions to do anything like that in my career or my life. I produced it with my production company. I'm very proud of the work we put into it. We came back with. Uh, eight one-hour award-winning documentary series, and then we had a follow-on series after that. Um, and I, I'm immensely proud of it, and uh, immensely proud of the team that was around me at the time as well. That we we pulled it off. You know, you sent this little Cockney car dealer to the front line and got him fired at, and uh, he survived and come back and told the tale. Yeah, well, I you what the, going back with that whole story, Mike is. It's almost like you you did you walked into Parliament. You didn't know what you were doing. You were just following an instinct or a feeling. Uh, I was pissed off. That's yeah. what I was following. I was pissed off. You know, as I say, that morning I wrote a, I wrote a tax checkout uh, for the uh, for the tax man, and it had several zeros on the end of it. Yeah. I was, you know, it had big zeros. I'd just done a big contract uh, with Discovery. Plus, uh, my car dealership was really performing well. Uh, I'd done that year, was really busy in terms of personal appearances and, and that kind of stuff. So I did well. That was a really profitable year for me. Mm. And the tax man wanted his slice of that. You know, he wanted his big percentage. And I sat down and I wrote this checkout. And then that morning I'm reading that my tax money uh, wasn't being spent in the right places. Right. Or so I thought. Mm. So I was just pissed off. And it, it all spurned from that, me just being angry. Um, yeah. But, you know, it ended up with a... Uh, with an amazing result, a beautiful result, because I'm I'm immensely proud of what I what I did. Well, you should be, pal, and and the product you put out consistently. I mean, just just to survive as long as you have in television is an accomplishment. But to survive with a big smile on your face and putting smiles on everybody else's face is something I want to thank you for because I really enjoy your work, my friend. Oh, thank you, buddy. It's 25 years now. It's my 25th year of. Uh, Treading the boards, trying to entertain people. So I hope they, I hope they appreciate it. You do well, brother. I can't thank you enough for being on my show. Uh, Wheel of Deals, you can get on the Discovery Channel. Uh, your website is a lot of fun, too. If you're a car guy, I highly re recommend you check it out. Anything else you'd like to plug before we go? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram, Mike Brewer, Twitter, Mike Brewer. Uh, we've got a brand new series coming to America soon of Wheeler Dealers Dream Car with Elvis. Mm -hmm. And uh, and me and Elvis have just signed to do another 30 episodes of Wheeler Dealers on top of that. So uh, you've got 10 Dream Car and 30 Wheeler Dealers coming your way very soon. That's great. Best to you and your family, my friend. Please stay well. Thank you, Adam. Thank you. Hi, my name's Mike Brewer, and that was 30 Minutes I Will Never Get Back. How's that for a story? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. That, that is the craziest story. I mean, listen, you could have finished with like, I ended up going to Afghanistan and filming a bunch of stuff when I got home. And like, that's the craziest story ever. Like just being angry and like randomly finding yourself walking down. Oh, there's parliament. Oh, those cops know who I am. Let me just go in and give them a piece of my mind, about yeah. not being able to buy this body. Armor. I mean the whole, and then the helicopter, I mean, good Lord, like mm -hmm. being in combat, like in the middle of all that. It, 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 it's a flying hospital. You know, there's a guy there bleeding and all of a sudden there's, there's Mike Brewer going, we've just taken on fire. It's like a TV state. I'm like, would you shut up? I'm trying in a life here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. By the way, Americans, can I just say this? Thank you, England, for going to get our guys. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. For that. Yes. Thank you for that. <laughs> thank you for the Beatles. Thank you for uh, <laughs> Aston Martin, one of my favorites, the Jensen Interceptor. I don't have never driven one. I'd like to. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you for wearing red and marching in a straight line. That helped us out a great deal. <laughs> did back in the day. That was good for us. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, you're, you're right when you said when reality or your work crosses into real life tragedies or real life 
dangers. Gunfire, real life gunfire. Okay, gunfire. Gunfire, taking fire in a Chinook in yeah. Afghanistan. You, you know how much I love military history. I, I consume this stuff all the time. I'd like to think that I'd like to be in that situation. But as I'm hearing about it, I'm like, I would be soiling my trousers so badly in that moment. I'd be like, what am I doing here? <laughs> Please make me a bird so I can fly far, far away from here. You know, look around under the seat. He said. Under a seat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 That's scary. Scary yeah. stuff. Yeah. And the smell of cordite when that back door opened on that helicopter, like, oh, wait, these guys aren't messing around. And then you got people running in with the wounded. I'm like, oh, my God, I can only imagine how scary that had to be. Yeah. yeah. God bless these heroes, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm guessing me running out of the helicopter yelling time out, everybody. Could we please have a time out? That <laughs> yeah. probably wouldn't. That doesn't work, right? Uh, that's yeah. my mom. I got to go home. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And, and can I just say, do you know, have you heard of the DFC before? The DFC, no. The, the Distinguished Flying Cross. And I think he said something like, oh, is that, is that a, that's the medal that the pilot got? Yes, that is a really prestigious medal that the British, they don't, they don't hand those out. Like you have to do something unbelievably brave and heroic in those kind of circumstances. So I think he said I, they've only given up four since like the Second World War, something like that. It's amazing. Well, this guy earned it. Oh, my God, did he earn it? And you yeah. want to know, you want to know something about that pilot? They're still going to make him pay taxes to sons of Can I get a little something? No, yeah. you got to pay the whole freight. Yeah. How about a little something for the effort? Huh? <laughs> I applaud him for knowing that, hey, that guy needs help. I'm going to go <laughs> knock on Parliament's door and dumb about it. And he actually went. I mean, how many people think about something, don't do anything? He had the... What do you would you say balls or just the cojones, cojones sure. to just walk <laughs> up there and just yeah. say, hey, can you imagine, though, like walking up to Congress like here in Washington, where I live? Imagine like, I think about it every friggin day. <laughs> no, but just be like, can I talk to somebody in charge? Who's in charge of the taxes thing? Can I talk to somebody? Because mm-hmm. I'm a little angry about that. Be like, yeah, get out of here, man. Oh, I don't I, talk, I, I, I don't have a conversation in my head. I give them a thousand paper cuts and I dump lemon <laughs> juice on them. That's what I do. <laughs> Your head. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I make them I make them chew tinfoil and hopefully hit a filling. That's what I make them do. <laughs> Well, I love that Mike is all heart. You know, this isn't right. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm going to go tell him it's not right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and by that. the way, he was flowing on some kind of like higher level of energy right there. Now, we might call that energy anger, but it wasn't like he got off the train and was like, I got to go to Parliament. He was just sort of walking around and found his feet took him by Whitehall. And he's like, oh, OK, I'm, I'm just going to go in there. Like, it's almost like there was a higher purpose, like guiding him throughout all of this to take him on this yeah. journey. And yeah. if, if, there's, yeah. if, there's, if there's any message that we all can take from this, it's follow your rage. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That's the lesson, kids. Just when you're angry, just follow that channel, it, baby. <laughs> OK, don't do what Adam just said. Everybody don't do it now. <laughs> I like the fact that Mike promised his wife that he wouldn't get into any trouble. And what did he do? He went on foot patrol. Yeah. Adam promised me that he wouldn't do anything dangerous on Top Gear. And what did you do, Adam? You jumped the freaking caddy. Not as bad as foot patrol. <laughs> <laughs> there was no gunfire. <laughs> True. But there's plenty of gunfire when you got home. Yes, there was. <laughs> I was very great. upset. I know. But that wasn't even the first time I was very upset with you on Top Carry. You took a lot of risk, Adam. I know. I'll be honest with you. You sound pretty upset right now. I, got, I, I am upset. What... <laughs> it's, you're bringing back a lot of images that I don't, I don't want to ever think about. Okay. What medal do I get for this combat? <laughs> I'll put in a good word for you. I'll get a DFC. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Victoria's Cross. We'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see how the rest of the show goes. Honey, look, I don't want you to get upset. All right. If Phil dies, I'll leave you the money that he left me. All right. Oh, my God. Don't put me in the middle of this, this crap. <laughs> I was I had to ask Mike the question, too, how life was different after he had that experience. Sure. And I was yeah. so like when he said, you know, I enjoy every sun sunrise. And, the, and the, I mean, that, that was beautiful. I'd like to think that I would do that if that happened to me. But if I knew that this was my last day, I. 
I'd really have to fight the impulse not to settle a lot of friggin' scores. I would. <laughs> That's the Italian in you, Adam. Oh, I'm going back to the third grade, and I'm I'm going up to Miss Wilmot. I'm going really, really, Miss Wilmot. I told you, I told you, I didn't start the fight. You didn't listen to me, and I got detention for no reason. This is my last day on earth, and I'm kicking you in the ass. Adam, should I worry that you still have third grade in your mind? It's not in my mind. I have a typewritten <laughs> list in my drawer. Oh, my goodness. I want you to win an Oscar for a variety of reasons, Adam. But okay. now I want it. <laughs> now I want you to win it because I want that to be your acceptance speech. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad I want this. However, I got yeah. a lot of people. That I gotta be now that I got your attention. <laughs> exactly. Go, we'll start in third grade. Yep. <laughs> start in third grade. I'm slapping everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you you know, most people when they have a near death experience, they they say, I don't care. I don't care. You and Mike seem to like not care from <laughs> the gecko <laughs> about doing things. Yeah. You know, no, just do it. I will tell you this that the the, the couple of times I had the near death, I remember talking to Richard Hammond about it because he had one on Top Gear and I had a couple on Top Gear. There's a calmness because everything just slows down. You're like, all right, if this is it, this is it. And I went right to I went right to planning mode. I'm like, the, the insurance will take care of her. My manager will, will, will it'll give her whatever money I got stashed. My mom will be OK. I went right to that. And then I oh, ah, shit. I'm back on Earth. All right. We're still here. Well, <laughs> I just got to say that I love that you are looking at the world through new eyes, as is Mike, you know, to like looking at those sunrises and those sunsets and finding those moments within the day and appreciating those, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's talking to a friend about a class action lawsuit, you know, or, or <laughs> you know, or whatever. It might oh, yeah, be. <laughs> you know? exactly. But, Mark. <laughs> but but no, I think because that's that's the response I would hope I would have is that like I'm going to enjoy I'm going to savor life a little bit more and I'm going to appreciate those moments a little mm -hmm. bit more. Mike was enthusiastic before this happened. That's one of the reasons I liked Wheeler Dealer because I I'm tuning in for him. You know, he gets excited about the cars. He gives me the information. You go on the journey with him. You want him to succeed. And he's a great, great host. Well, he has great energy. Yeah. He, oh, God. Yeah. I yeah. was just glued to what he was saying. It, he just lifts you up. Mm -hmm. You know, it and seems I like everybody around him when they meet him or know him, they know of him. He has this energy that's infectious. Yeah, unless, of course, you go into South Africa and you're at an airport selling a BMW. He's like, look, I know we said 14. <laughs> that was um, savvy. I only that got five. You want it or not? Oh, the plane's taking off. I don't think he's going to be able to get this in the overhead. What do you want to do? I, I didn't know how I felt about that. And then I'm like, well, you know, as, as a salesman, that was pretty good move. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was genius. That yeah. was genius. How about the fact that Japan called him up and said, will you stop? Will you stop yeah. selling the cars? Because yeah. you're doing a better job than we are. So you make yeah. us look bad. Stop you're it. Bad. Yeah, he's selling all those Asus. How great is that? He figured he just got on a plane. And did. I think that's the same the same impulse he had because you know, he, he couldn't speak the language. He just got on a plane, went over there. Right, they right. couldn't speak the language. You know, I don't know. How do you say eight Isuzus on the plane, please, in Japanese? You know, I don't know how he communicated that, but not only did it, and he sold more. And they found out about it, which means... <laughs> Mike's got a leak. There's a mole. <laughs> There's a mole. <laughs> Somewhere in Mike's organization. He's got to tighten that up. Yeah, mm -hmm. a little mole hunt. Yeah. No. Uh, and you know what? It, it is. It's almost like he rushes headlong in and he's like, I'm going to trust my instincts and mm -hmm. the fortune to let this sort itself out. Fortune favors the bold. So I'm going to be bold and I'm going to rush in and I'm going to do these things. And by the way, like he didn't seek out like a, like the TV stuff for his life. Yeah, yeah. Like that, they begged that, him. Came, that was that was an opportunity. This thing opportunity knocks once. That was opportunities banging on his door being like, will you please get out here? I want to take you on this ride. And the fact that he didn't chase that, I think, speaks volumes about who he is. And he's like, nah, this is just just who I am. And OK, fine. I'll try that, I guess. And, yeah. and he's great at it. It's just a cool journey, man. I know. And yeah. do you have any idea how much that pisses me off? <laughs> Adam. Yeah. There's a lot of things that resonated with me with Mike. I liked him before I met him. Then when I met him, I liked him even more. I mean, he works with his wife. I work with my wife. His dad got him at the cars. 
uh, uh, my dad got me into cars. The closer he got to death, the more alive he felt. And the closer Phil gets to death, the more alive I feel. So I think <laughs> we are kindred spirits. Mm, I yes. don't know, Adam. <laughs> yeah. I want to thank Mike Brewer for being my guest. Uh, Wheel of Deals is on Discovery. It's a lot of fun. Uh, uh, so uh, check it out. It's a very good show. Honey, if they want to get a hold of us, where do they go? TheAdamFerrar at Gmail. Uh, we got T-shirts. Yes, we do. We have a link to T-shirts in the show notes. We have a link to my special in the show notes. Uh, my tour dates are there as well. If you could leave us a review, that helps us with our friend. Mr. Algorithm. And always remember that life is hard. You take it easy on yourself. The pod has ended. Go in peace. I, I don't have to worry about a thing. I, I, I'll, I'll get into his Amazon account. I'll, I'll print out the bills. I go, look, he took it for 20 years. He's dead. <laughs> We already have it figured out, huh? Yeah. Where's my check? I'm, all right. I'm grieving. He wants me to have it. Adam, you are such an idiot. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.